Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. On the 14th of January, the day after the national championship, a game in which LSU completed a perfect season. They went 15-0 and won 42-25 over the Clemson Tigers. Clemson had the lead, oh, what, 17-7, and that was with 10.38 to go in the second quarter. A little bit of a slow start last night for LSU offensively. Clemson was... Good defensively early in the game, but then it was three straight touchdowns for LSU to make it 17-14, and then 21-17, and then 28-17 at the half. Clemson got close in the third quarter when they scored an early touchdown, went for two, and converted it to make it a three-point game. But all LSU the rest of the rest of the way, two more touchdowns, one to Thaddeus Moss, one to Terrace Marshall, and LSU completes a perfect season. And really, from about midway through the second quarter, through the end of the game, just dominated last night. Glad to have you along. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Would love to have you be a part of the conversation this afternoon. You can do it on the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, along for the ride this afternoon. Hey, uh, let's see, Borky, what's up? Oh, nothing. Just uh, can't believe that I blinked because college football's already over. That's how it works, right? I mean, we and spent a really long time counting down to the start of the season, and then it gets here, and we race through the regular season. Although, I feel like the postseason lasted forever this year. Oh, so did halftime last night, which I guess we'll get to later. But uh, of all the things that we need to fix in college football, I think the halftime length is one of them because that's just absurd. Halftime felt like it took longer than it will to get college football started again. Yeah, it was long. There was uh, there was 22 minutes on the clock in the stadium, but they didn't start the clock until both on-field coach interviews for TV were done. So it was Ed Ogeron first, and Tom Rinaldi talked to him, and then Maria Taylor talked to Dabo. And then when they finally went off the field, they started the clock. And then probably a minute or so after, I mean, it was nearly 30 minutes for halftime of the national championship game last night. Hey, Dad, did you make it all the way through the game last night? Oh, yeah, I watched it until the, until the end. Absolutely. What would you think? It's the, last, it's the last college football game of the year, man. I'm going to squeeze every bit of juice I can out of that orange. I, you know, I don't get any more for you know another eight months. I thought it was I, – I thought it – we talked about Clemson and I. I thought they might be underrated, but I was, evidently I was underrating LSU. They were just dominant as they were all year. Uh, Joe Burrow could not have proved me more wrong if he had come to my house and punched me in my face. Uh, just a fantastic year for the Tigers, and now they're the uh, the national champions. Do you think that you deserve to have Joe Burrow come to your house and punch you in your face? 
nobody deserves to be punched in the face just for comments on a uh, a sports talk radio show. But okay. if they did, uh, yes. Fair, fair enough. But you wouldn't be mad yeah. if he came and punched you, as long as it wasn't too hard. I mean, as long as the face I can live with. You know. <laughs> fair enough. Rippy, what did you think last night? It was interesting. So did, did, after I left, did you pick Clemson? Yes. Huh. It took forever. These college football games are too long. Maybe that's me being a Grinch. It was, I enjoyed it for standalone games last night, but good Lord, there's no excuse for a game to be that long. In, in reality, though, three hours and 56 minutes was the elapsed time for the ball game. That's from opening kick until final horn. If you take 30 minutes out of that, it's a three-hour and 25-minute game, give or take, Yeah, which is still probably a little longer than it should be. I, I would be okay with going to NFL clock rules in college football. That and then cut the halftime by... 10 minutes, and then actually start the game at 7 o'clock. But what what are you, like, I mean, are you mad because you had to stay up? Not, mad's not the right word. I mean, are you frustrated because you had to stay up late or because you didn't feel like there was good flow to it or what? I mean, what, what what's the, the real level of frustration? Flow's well, an Haydad, issue. For Haydad, this is like AM radio, so he had an early day today. But... um. <laughs> Had an early day. You always make fun of Hey Deb for sleeping in. Oh yeah. But, um, no, no, I don't mind that. I don't mind the starting the game on time. I just think the games are like marathons. Like I, I don't necessarily hate it, but like on an average Saturday, the the games seem to last too long. The last night to me personified it, but I enjoyed it. wasn't complaining last night. Yeah, and I guess when it's all said and done, last night was about forty minutes longer than an NFL game. And I don't know that there's really any reason for the game to be forty minutes longer than an NFL game because the NFL has plenty of commercials that they plug in, right? Yeah, I, I don't absolutely. anticipate that kickoff to final horn of the Super Bowl will be three hours and 56 minutes. That's what you had last night. So, yeah, maybe we need to shorten it up, but I don't know. Does it really matter? In a roundabout way, maybe. Exciting, nobody cares. Uh, right. Yeah. And last night, the this fourth quarter especially, kind of just lacked any reason to stick around. But in a long roundabout way if the games are longer and people are tuning out it means less money and the less money goes to your schools i don't know yeah game wise though the L- the winner has to be the lsu defense right because they were really the first college defense ever to look make trevor lawrence look human for an entire game because you knew what burrow was going to do and you could argue clemson scored enough points to be in the game but lsu's defense like Really just strung together enough stops in a row in a game that felt like a track meet. I mean, after that first touchdown, Clemson literally didn't do anything. Yeah. In the second half, that is. Sure. And I guess there's two ways to spin it, right? It's On one hand, it's credit to the LSU's defense, but I I don't think enough people are – and, of course, because you're talking Joe Burrow, greatest season ever as a college quarterback, LSU one of the greatest teams of all time, the redemption story for Ed Orgeron. But what's getting lost in that is Trevor Lawrence was – bad last night 11 overthrows especially bad on third down didn't look like that as a freshman a year ago in the national championship game the loss certainly doesn't lie on his shoulders but 11 overthrows uh he was pressing uh couldn't set his feet didn't hit open receivers that was not the trevor lawrence that you usually see and whether it's lsu's defense or just yet an off night there's your difference in the ball game 
I don't adding on to that. I don't feel like I I haven't gotten back and watched the Alabama game from last year, but I don't feel like Lawrence was pressured and hit and hurried as often or even as close to consistently as he was in this game last night. Yeah, I don't really think there's anything that you could have said to me yesterday that would have convinced me going in that Trevor Lawrence was going to complete less than 50% of his throws in the game last night. And that's what he did. He was 48.6%. And I mean, this is a guy who had been highly efficient all season long. And Joe Burrow completed 63%, which was really considerably below his season completion percentage. I mean, he was at 76 or 78% going into the ball game. I, I was a little hyperbolic yesterday when I said 80% of his passes. Um, but he was north of 75% going into the game, and he was at about 63%, which is certainly a good number. Joe Burrow, frankly, was not helped out a ton by his receivers. I know Jamar Chase had a monster game, nine catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns. It should have been three touchdowns and 260 yards in the game. He had two or three. It, you know, He dropped the touchdown. That was, I think that was late third, either late third quarter or early fourth quarter on just a money throw by Burrow. And then he had two drops early in the game as well. And I guess if you complete 76% of your passes for the year, you just don't have many drops all season long. LSU did not drop many balls with that combination of, uh, of Chase and Jefferson and, and Marshall and, and Thaddeus Moss as well throughout the uh, the course of the season, but they had some big drops in that game. It could have been worse than it was last night. Yeah, and Clemson had a good game plan going in. I mean, Britt, what's crazy is that halftime score, you felt for most of that half that Clemson was in control. I mean, they were controlling the line of scrimmage, they were getting pressure, uh, forcing Burrow into some rush throws and uh, out of the pocket and stuff like that, and they were still down at halftime because a couple of incredibly accurate deep balls, which is what his signature is, but even at halftime, I thought, you know, Clemson really schemed this well, and it's just not mattering. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you on uh, on that front. LSU sputtered out of the gate, and it was because of Clemson. They were able to get pressure. Certainly the game, when, when Skalski got thrown out of the game for targeting, and we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later this afternoon. I, I, I looked at um guy sitting next to me, I was like, it's over. Yeah, he's been the best player defensively on the field and probably should not have been ejected, certainly by letter of the law, but in terms of targeting and the impact that it has on the game with the way it's called, um, you got to see some adjustment. And I tend to think we're headed in that direction. I don't know if it's this offseason or next, uh, but I think you'll see a little bit of an adjustment and we're headed in the direction of maybe kind of like in basketball where you got a flagrant one and a flagrant two. We could see a targeting one and a targeting two. We'll get into that this afternoon. I also have some uh, just kind of like big-picture observations from being there last night. An incredible, incredible atmosphere in the Superdome for the national championship game last night. Just getting started with you at Sports Talk Mississippi on a Tuesday. Sit tight. We'll be right back. Day after reaction from the national championship game with LSU winning over Clemson. Final score, 42-25. LSU caps a perfect season. They go 15-0. and They defeated seven teams this year. 
that were ranked in the top ten when they played them, and they knocked off all four teams that were the preseason top four coming into the year. That's a pretty impressive resume, and everybody wants to immediately talk about, okay, where does this team rank all time? I would agree with others that have said it's really hard to compare because the game has evolved and teams change and circumstances are different and, you know, amount of points you're putting on the board offensively sometimes affects your defensive strategy and so maybe the defense wasn't as dominant as some defenses have been along the way and oh they gave up 600 total yards to Ole Miss along the way so obviously they weren't any good you know there there are a lot of things that go into this so all I know is when you look at who they beat and how they beat them throughout the course of the year LSU's resume for this season in terms of kind of measuring them against some of the best teams of all time, stacks up pretty favorably. Stacks up pretty darn favorably. couple of things from being in the building last night. First of all, we got in there early. So, Borky, I told you, you know, President was coming, and we had been told that he was going to arrive around 6.30, and you definitely wanted to get in the, the stadium early. Probably went a little earlier than we had to, but still took mm, 20 or 30 minutes with not a big crowd there to get through. Part of the reason, so everybody's been through screening before getting into a stadium, right? You, you, you go in and they, you know, even if you have to go through the metal detectors like you do in, in Starkville and some other places now, um, it's pretty efficient. It doesn't usually take all that long. But it's because you've just got hired security people to do it, and they're you know they're there to get their check, and they're doing what they've been told they have to do. Um, Secret Service ran the entry points last night. You had a combination of armed with bulletproof vest on Secret Service agents and TSA agents who were brought in to run the security check in for every single person that went into the stadium. I'd never seen anything like that before. Was it intimidating? I mean, I, I wasn't trying to sneak anything in the stadium. So, I mean, you know, once there are some people that are, you know, they're taking the clear bags or they've got stuff in their pockets that they forget about and that slows things down. I mean, I had a wallet and a phone. And so, you know, I set that down on the table and went through and then they wanded me and I got my stuff and moved on. So, but just from the standpoint of, you know, you, you, you've walked through a hundred of these checkpoints going into a stadium or maybe a thousand of them or, or however many, it was different. Uh, when when you see all the guys, and it wasn't like Secret Service where they're in suits and they've got earpieces in, it was Secret Service in all black with like vests on, with stuff strapped to their vests, and they've got a gun and they've got you know a stun gun and there's a you know a, a billy club or whatever else, flashlight, all that stuff. I mean, they were not playing around. It was a, a serious deal for them, and obviously that security was in place because the president was there last night. So, let's fast forward to that. Um, About 7 o'clock, teams clear the field, and then you've got all the pregame festivities. The bands have done their pregame thing. They're back in their seats. Uh, They've got the big American flag. They pull the stage out for the lady that sings the national anthem. Uh, They present the colors, and then they announce that, you know, joining on the field with members of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines uh, in presentation of the colors the President of the United States, and the First Lady of the United States. And it's a really big ovation. But you still don't see them. 
And then they kind of emerge from the corner of the stadium, you know, through one of the, the tunnels that comes in. And they go, they, the first place you see them is on the video board, even before they kind of make their way out. And it gets louder and louder. I went back and watched the video today, and there was a sustained 45 seconds of like loud yelling and applause and, you know, adulation before that big USA USA chant starts. And that's one of those things that kind of starts organically. So it starts in one part of the stadium, but it gets loud quickly. And then before you know it, you got 75,000 people that are chanting USA USA. I, I get a little emotional with events related to military, pomp and circumstance, patriotism, whatever. Make no apologies for that. I just kind of get that wave of emotion where I feel like, yeah, my eyes well up a little bit, and you kind of feel the the chill bumps pop up, you know, on the the back of your neck and running up and down your back. 100% got that last night. It was just a really incredibly moving moment, and I couldn't help but think that in a stadium that, no, there were 76,000 and change people there last night. Was everybody that was there a supporter of Donald Trump? Absolutely not. Of course not. But you didn't really hear any boos. Maybe they were scattered somewhere, but they were just completely drowned out by the the, the ovation. And it was overwhelming. And I couldn't help it. I tweeted this earlier this morning as I was kind of thinking back on some of the games. I was reminded that, that Twitter does not equal real life. People are loud and boisterous on Twitter, and you have certainly, as it pertains to the current administration, a ton of loud dissenters on Twitter. And a lot of them are sports writers. And I couldn't help but kind of chuckle as I thought, yeah, some of those sports writers that love to take shots, they're just having to sit there and soak this in, and some of them are even having to write short stories that are going to go, to go up about this, and it was not probably the story that they were hoping to write. Absolutely not. And then, of course, you got the whole, oh, well, what do you expect in the South as if uh, he didn't win a bunch of states in the North, including Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. You know, it's just the South where something like that happens. It's funny how things get contorted in uh, sports media world. I I had a friend, and I, I, I do not want to turn this into a political thing, but I had a friend that texted me during the game last night. He said, there's a great big country out there between Hollywood and the Hudson, and it's called America. <laughs> nice. Thought that was that was fairly fitting. Oh, and do you see? Speaking of Twitter, uh, who was the number three world worldwide trend today? It was Vince it Vaughn. Lee? No, it was Vince Vaughn. Oh, uh, Vince Vaughn has been canceled because during the game broadcast they showed the presidential suite, and Vince Vaughn was shaking hands with the president and also said something to uh, Melania. And like walked away, so he's now an enemy because he made it a point to meet the president when he had the chance to yesterday. Yeah, I actually saw this, and I have some thoughts on this as well because like I was looking it up this morning because I was bored, and like I was reading the Vince because I was like, why is Vince Vaughn trading? I was hoping maybe it was like dodgeball two or something, but <laughs> as I started looking <laughs> through it, it was. It, like we've, it's it, social media has become such like a funhouse mirror in an echo chamber that now whenever there's something out there like that happens, people are now just assuming there are detractors or people angry, and so it becomes this big giant story without very many people actually angry. Like I noticed this on a local level 
where like when State was a little bit down the road and th- like kicking the tires on Steve Sarkeesian, like I had people like I, some stuff I was tagged in, some stuff I was not, like saying like it's not cool to make jokes about his alcohol thing. It's like yeah, that's not profound, man. Like every sane person on the inter- on Earth knows that. Just because two dudes on Twitter may have said something about it or his past or whatever, like that doesn't make it some profound statement. That also doesn't make it a thing. So I almost feel like we make things a thing just because we now assume there are people out there on the interwebs detracting because i couldn't actually find anyone mad and i started searching vince vaughn uh red pill vince vaughn all this i couldn't find anyone that was actually mad. i don't know i saw a screenshot of of him or or the little video clip that somebody put on there and then just clicked on it so that you could kind of get the replies to pop up and there were people suggesting that all of vince vaughn movies should be boycotted going forward that's fine but how many people is that actually i don't know I don't know. Anyway, those are just my thoughts on it. I'm not saying no one was mad out there. I just think it's become such a small dissenting group, we now assume it's larger. When it comes to any issue, not just that. I just I, I was having this conversation with somebody in the office earlier today. I don't really care who the President of the United States is. If there was an opportunity to sit down and shake the hand or share a meal or have a conversation with the President of the United States, I'm in. Because it's the President of the United States. And that's whether it's Donald Trump or Bill Clinton, or George W. Bush, or George Bush the first, or Jimmy Carter, or Ronald Reagan. I don't really care. It's the President of the United States. What a cool opportunity. It's the most powerful person on planet Earth. And, and you get to just say, hey, nice to see you. Yeah. And pitch him on the sick radio show I'm, podcast we have. Possibly get him on. Maybe join us. It probably would be good for ratings. I'm never going to stop watching Wedding Crashers. That's all I'm going to say about this. Are you? Love Wedding Crashers. Great movie. Hey, Dad, I actually uh, YouTubed a couple of scenes after this. I'm not kidding this morning. It's on my YouTube recent history now. (laughs) Better lock it up. You did not. I'm a little surprised that uh, noted Bernie Sanders supporter uh, is not actively boycotting Vince Vaughn. Where did they rip this shot? Was it on television? Because I missed it. Yeah, it was on TV. I don't know. I saw it huh. on the Twitters. I missed it. Um, it was kind of cool. The president was sitting directly above us in like one section over or one box over. And it was kind of cool looking down. I was like, what are all those photographers looking at? I was like, oh, the president must be up there. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. So it was brought to my attention that in naming presidents that I would like to sit down and have a meal with or shake hands with or just have a brief chat with. I was going to say something. So I was, was I. I. I somehow managed to omit the name of the previous president, Barack Obama. He is not omitted from my list. I would welcome the opportunity to sit down and have a chat or a meal with Barack Obama. Just like every single president that has ever held the office. I also like to point out you picked two presidents. I like to point out you picked two presidents who are who are dead. So having dinner with them would be really fun. In fairness, I did mention two Democrat presidents in that very short list. I mentioned Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter. I felt slighted. Did you? (laughs) I thought you would there, Burn. That's the most troubling bit that we have on this show because I've actually had a couple people ask me uh, out and about. How was your weekend at Bernie's? 
It's pretty good. Got a lot of good marching in. But people actually do not understand. I don't think there's a disturbing amount of people out there that don't get the bit, but that's okay. We'll just let them keep guessing. I guess that's what makes it good. Yeah, it's kind of the beauty. Yeah, you stick with us for a long period of time. You get in on the inside jokes, and if you don't, then, uh, well, you're outside looking in. I don't know what it looked like on television. I'll just tell you what it looked like inside the building. Uh, somewhere between, I, I'm going to say 75-25 in terms of attendance. Basically, Clemson sold every single ticket in their allotted section. So if you draw a line from the very tip-top of the dome all the way down to the 50-yard line, so top of the dome to bottom, and then you extend that around to the goalpost, in where, where basically you've created a quarter of the stadium, Clemson section actually extended just a little bit beyond the goalpost over to let's let's call it the, uh, the the pylon in the corner of the end zone. So maybe twenty, a, a little more than a quarter of the stadium. That was all Clemson fans. There wasn't an empty seat to be found in that section. My guess is twenty thousand people, twenty thousand Clemson fans, and fifty five, fifty six thousand LSU fans. That was a great showing by Clemson, but, I mean, you want to talk. Borky, at one point I looked around and I thought, okay, well, you know, normally a team gets their section, and then you have scattered kind of throughout the rest of the place. I started looking around, like, just to see if I could find a a pocket of orange shirts. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Outside that quarter of the stadium that was all orange, orange and purple for Clemson, that was it. Might as well play it in Baton Rouge. Uh, I, I've wondered how the <laughs> <laughs> well done the uh, the the playoff and the way it's set up and the few teams that actually make it will hurt attendance and stuff moving forward. Because I mean, if you if you're a Clemson fan, you've gone to the ACC championship, which isn't far from where you are, but you've gone to the ACC championship every year for four years and multiple playoff games every year. I mean, not everybody's made of money. How often can you do these long, extravagant trips in consecutive weeks four years in a row? I I think that's a good point. Um, There is novelty when it's the first time, or it's the first time in a long time. But I would say in some ways Alabama is comparable. Alabama's got a great, huge fan base that travels exceptionally well. But Alabama's obviously going to have more people at the national championship game in Atlanta when it's at Mercedes-Benz Stadium or in New Orleans at the Superdome than they are in Glendale or in South Florida. Now they're still going to travel well, kind of like Clemson did last night. But the college football national championship game needs new blood. It got it last night, obviously, with LSU. Now, if, if that game last night had been in Santa Clara, would there have been 55,000 LSU fans there? Absolutely not. But there would have been thirty-five or 40,000 there because it was new. And they were playing for a title for the first time since 2012, trying to win one for the first time since, what, 06? Is that right? That was 07, wasn't it? 07. Okay. Because there's that really crazy year in college football. That's right. It was 07. You're right. You're right. Does LSU count as new blood? They do in this playoff case. Uh, 
in the sense of they've not played for a national championship in a long time. I don't mean no, like I, new blood in terms of they haven't been one of the elite of college football. Yeah, no, I'm not necessarily even arguing what you're saying, but isn't that kind of underscoring the parity problem if LSU is considered new blood? Without a doubt. That's three titles since 2004. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I get it. But I'm saying as opposed to Alabama or Clemson, Clemson who's played in three of the last four, Alabama who's played in eight of them in the last 12 years, those numbers may not be exact, but you get the point that I'm making. When you get a fan base that proximity-wise is relatively close to the venue, I mean, nobody's closer than LSU is from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. How about LSU? Four national championships all time. All four of them won in New Orleans. And could have won a fifth, I guess? Could have won a fifth in 2012. Although they could still be playing that game from 2012, and I don't think LSU would have scored yet. (laughs) They got kind of different debate for a different day, but they got kind of jobbed in that going to Tuscaloosa and winning and then having to play them again. Yeah. Kind of what spawned the college football playoff. Very true. So... Only to get two SEC teams in the championship game of the college football playoff like three years in. Yeah, you're uh, you're right. Uh, Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395 if you want to jump in. Have you guys seen the money handshakes after the game? Uh, yeah, that's uh, fascinating. It's fake money, man. Odell Beckham Jr. on the game, post-game, rips out a wad of $100 bills, peels off a few of them, and hands them to one of the LSU players. High fives. I saw somebody point out today that I'm always shocked to see Odell Beckham Jr. do something to draw attention to himself. Did you see in the video last night, Ed was trying to talk to his team about being one of the greatest teams in college football history, and Odell kept yelling. Like, I think he was just trying to be his hype man, but of course inserting himself at the center. He was in the locker room just yelling, this is what y'all did. Like, we know. that. Thank you, Odell. Thanks. Appreciate the uh, the dynamite drop in. Uh, LSU, by the way, re- released a statement today. It said it was uh, it was fake money. And the protection that they get, though, it underscores the point that we've been making for years now. If that was not even a Mississippi school, if that was South Carolina instead of LSU, would they have gotten the protection that they've gotten today? Because that happened on national television in front of everybody. And LSU, and I, I respect the move, because Odell Beckham's not walking around with fake hundreds. Like, he's not doing that. Uh, that was real money that he gave to a real college football player uh, on national television in front of probably about 30 million people. Um, LSU says it's fake money. Everybody knows it's not true. This was written on CBS today. How do you know it's not true? Do you have one of those little markers? Have you marked up the bills yeah. and then held it up to the light to look for the uh, little seam in it? I have a functioning brain. Um, <laughs> this was in My CBS today. My days in the today. restaurant biz, I had one of those. They were pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> of course you did. It, <laughs> Sorry, Borky. I no, derailed where you were headed with that. It's okay. This is from an article on CBS today. Like, CBS, the rights holder to the SEC's biggest game. It's worth mentioning that the display very well could have been a publicity stunt with Beckham just having some fun with the players, appreciating what they accomplished this season. After all, it's against NCAA rules for athletes to accept money, and they likely gave the money back to Beckham once the camera stopped rolling. <laughs> it was that a skit. 
This guy. It was just a skit. It was a skit. The protection that sketch. LSU gets. I mean, that happened in front of everybody. If that was South Carolina or Vanderbilt or Missouri, it, it would have been, I mean, viral. <laughs> Call the NCAA instead. And Orgeron has a funny accent and people love New Orleans. So ah, let's let it go. Charlie suggests if Ole Miss had done that, it's RIP to the football program. I mean, it happened to them, didn't it? Laramie Tunsil, when he got drafted, I'd have to say, yeah. And that became viral, oh my God, everybody look. Odo Beckham literally handed a player $100 bills on national television, and nobody cares. Hey, Dad, you would have no problem with people handing you $100 bills on national television, would you? I have no problem with anybody handing anybody $100 bills on national television. You got the money? You want to give it out? By all means. By all means. I did appreciate Joe Burrow just completely disregarding no SIGs inside. Or the cop that tried to arrest him. Did, did you hear what Ed Ogeron said yeah. to, after the press conference? <laughs> Joe Burrow goes, all right, guys, thanks. I'm out. Stands up to walk away, and um, Ed Ogeron goes, Take it easy on that cigar, boy. I read that the cop himself uh, was like, "I don't think this is a big deal, but my commander does." So there was a there was a police officer that went into the LSU locker room and said, "Anyone smoking inside the building will be subject to arrest." I think he was laughed at. Coming in hot on the ceasefire text line. Uh, I know the players personally. It was fake money. That's from Zach in Starkville. I bet. All right. Good to know, Zach. All right. Who cares? I don't hey, really fake care. Money, real money, whatever. Hey, if these guys made a few hundred bucks uh, along the way, good for them. It's the it's the media thing that bothers me. Not that the well, kids got money. It's the protection they, that bothers me. I don't think they made to. I don't think they made a couple hundred bucks. Like I don't think he was anticipating some sort of reward. It looked like OBJ just whipped out his wallet and was like, "Here, son, go have a good time." Uh, Jason points out, say he got put on probation, got a bowl ban, etc., because someone loaned Kevin Fant a few bucks to buy some bleeping tires, which he repaid within a week. Of course, it's R.I.P. to State or Ole Miss with money swapping hands on live television. It's fair. I'd have to say, yeah, real fake or otherwise. How about this? How about the expense of traveling to a series of postseason events? My wife's family is all Clemson fans. They've been to the two of the championship games in the Sugar Bowl in 2017. Their mindset is they're going to go to as many playoff opportunities as they can. They've never gotten to witness this type of success, so they're going to soak it up. As a state fan, I'd be taking out loans and doing everything I could to be at the playoffs if we started having the success Clemson is having. I, I get that. Completely get that. I think lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people would do that the first time around if that's what it took to be at a semifinal game and then a national championship game. <laughs> if it happened in 2021 and then happened again in 2022 and then 2023 was a trip to the Sugar Bowl and 2024 was back to the playoffs, and so was 2025, I think some of the people who were willing to basically mortgage their future, quite literally, to go see something that they had already seen three times, you you might have fewer people do it then. 
And then there are people so who've got plenty of money and, and they go and to all tractors to mortgage here in Starkville. What was that, hey, Dad? Only so many trailers and, and, and tractors to mortgage here in Starkville. When we spent most of them going to that uh, that College World Series trip a couple of years ago, according to Mike Patrick. Yeah, most everybody's had a chance to rebuild or rebuy since then, though. I, it's been tough. It's 20, 2013. Kevin Van got that was the twenty. I think that was the 2018 World Series, was it not? No, no, no. no it was that? 2013 National Championship Series. Mike Patrick has not been on the broadcast oh, okay. for a while. It was when, uh, when they played UCLA. And there were okay. literally 18,000 Mississippi State fans at that Monday night game one. Yeah. It was remarkable. Like, like, I mean, I, I remember they, they did something before first pitch of that game where they're like, hey, glad to have you at the College World Series. If you're a UCLA fan, get on your feet and make some noise. You know, 200 of them. And they're like, let's hear from the Mississippi State fans. And the the entire stadium stood up. 20,000 people. It's crazy. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Uh, Jeff wants to know how many days we have until college football season. Uh, Borky, have you done the math yet? It's like 252. Give or take. Give or take, yeah. Something like that. There, there you go. So uh, 252, which means we're about 152 days away from starting the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, somewhere around the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover. Look forward to that. The numbers for Joe Burrow. At, at some point, it, it's like, yeah, it can't be real. But they are real. 31 of 49, so a little bit below his average in terms of completion percentage. 463 yards, and nobody bats an eye at that number. Five touchdown passes. Also, 14 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. Going into last night's game, quarterbacks playing for a national title who had rushed for 200 or had thrown for 250 yards and rushed for 50 numbered one. Vince Young in the epic oh. Five national championship game? 05 or 06? 05 season, 06 title game. The matchup with USC in the Rose Bowl that everybody loves. Great game. He's the only quarterback that had ever thrown for 250 and rushed for 50. Joe Burrow did it in the first half last night. When he had a great game plan against him. Yeah. He was two of six for six yards to start the game. The bulk of it had to come on that ballsy second half or call at the end of the half. Where oh yeah, with you get tackled and bound short of the marker. Probably not kicking toast. a field goal. Yeah, you're probably. I mean, you they'd have a shot, but I don't think you could pull it off. And then he calls the draw. Worked out perfect. Worked out beautifully. Got LSU a first down. And then on the next play, throws a missile for a touchdown. That was uh, Thaddeus Moss on the reception there. And that was the play where Joe uh, Burrow got popped in the ribs by uh, Skalka. Sk- say his last name for me. Skalski. Skalski. Trying to make it Skalkus. Skalski. Clean hit. I mean, that's how you play defense. And there was a little bit of question as to whether or not Joe Burrow was going to come out and play in the second half of that ball game. He did and played well for as long as he needed to. And just kind of puttered his way through the fourth quarter as LSU. Won a title. 
We'll turn the page and talk about some other things with you as we transition to the 4 o'clock hour next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi with you on Tuesday afternoon, January the 14th. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk on Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget, if you miss any of the show, you can always go back and get it on demand via the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast or listen online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. A lot of national championship game conversation. We'll get to some basketball coming up as both Ole Miss and Mississippi State are in action tonight. Ole Miss on the road in Gainesville, tips off at 6 o'clock. Mississippi State at home, hosting Missouri, tips off at 8 o'clock. Both the Rebels and the Bulldogs looking for their first win in Southeastern Conference place. We'll get to some of that this afternoon. We'll get a little more into the baseball conversation with just the uh, high penalties that have been handed down for the Houston Astros with uh, something similar expected with the uh, Boston Red Sox coming in the, uh, oh, I should say in the days to come. So uh, all that is uh, is going on right now. Let's, um, wh- one more thought on the national championship game. So let's just ask the question generally, and then we'll look at some specific numbers to maybe influence the answer one way or the other. Joe Burrow, greatest individual season in college football history, yes or no. Rippy. That Cam Newton one was so ridiculous, and I feel like he had l- less help. I would agree with that. Cam Newton's national championship team has never had a carry, a reception in the NFL. Only one player on his starting offense had any time in the NFL, and it was an offensive guard, I believe. How do you go against that, then? That's fair. Got no problem with that. Burrow, best individual season in college football history, yes or no? Hey, Dad. I'm going to stay with Cam Newton, but he's in the tier, that top tier for sure. Okay. Forky? I think I'm going to say yes. Okay. The numbers, of course, he had talent around him, but dominating the SEC the way he did and the manner in which he did. Um, It's hard to ignore. Joe Burrow, national champion, MVP of the national championship game, MVP of the college football playoff semifinal game, MVP of the SEC championship game, Heisman Trophy winner, won all the awards. Like, all of the awards. The... Maxwell Award and the Davey O'Brien Award and the Manning Award, all of them. He won them all. Plus the bronze statue that is, you know, the, the cherry on top. First quarterback in the history of college football ever to throw for 60 touchdown passes in a season. No player that has ever played the game, quarterback, running back, receiver, has been responsible for more touchdowns in a year, 65. So some rushing touchdowns in addition to the 60 passing touchdowns. 
Joe, uh, Joe Burrow set an SEC record with 5,671 yards. In the college football playoff title game slash BCS championship game era, nobody has been more responsible for more touchdowns than Joe Burrow. Six. If you want to expand that by one more note, in the college football playoff era, nobody has been more responsible for more touchdowns in the combination of a semifinal and the championship game. Fourteen. In his last two games, the two games that ultimately determine whether LSU is national champion or not, Joe Burrow is responsible for 14 touchdowns. That's silly. And he's likely to be the number one pick. Like, I'm not even sure there's doubt about that. I mean, I guess Cincinnati could decide that Chase Young is their guy. But I don't see that happening. There's no possible way they don't pick him. It's kind of like the uh, like a, a Zion pick. I don't mean to get into Homer thing, but you didn't have a choice. Even if you didn't think he fit your team and they needed a guard like John Morant, you just, because of what comes with, him, you have to take him no matter what. Same thing here. A native son of Ohio, you need a quarterback. What that will do to the Bengals franchise locally, <laughs> uh, beyond just him obviously being an extremely good football player, you can't not pick that guy. They are already selling Burrow number nine jerseys there. <laughs> you know, the whole name, image, and likeness thing that we kind of kick around some? When I look around and see the number of number nine jerseys that were in New Orleans, and maybe LSU fans wear more jerseys than most fan bases, it's kind of hard to argue that he doesn't deserve a little bit of that. Yeah. and I, There are thousands. I think it was Manziel where they said after licensing and everything would have only net like 50 grand from his jersey sales. And I kept thinking, well, that sounds good. Holy only 50 grand. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> maybe you should let him do it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe uh maybe so. If it's only 50 grand, what difference does it make anyway? I mean, what's that? I mean, how many authentic Joe Burrow jerseys were sold this year? I mean, I, I bet I saw 500 Joe Burrow jerseys in the last 2 days. With Burrow spelled on the back on the nameplate B U R R E A U X. Those have all been done since senior day. So, what do you think? 10,000 Joe Burrow jerseys? 20,000? Probably fair and maybe even conservative. So, for him to only get $50,000 out of that, I mean, his cut would be, you know, the royalty would be like $5 a jersey. Okay. I bet he would take it. Yeah, I think he would. And I mean, I know he's going to have a million plus dollars, millions of dollars coming up in just a few months. I still bet he'd take it. I mean, you know, find find a person who has a net worth of, of seven figures plus 
and offer them fifty grand and say, "Hey, do you want this?" Or, "Ah, you're already a millionaire. You probably don't need." It. No, no, I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Thanks. Sure, you'd be happy to take it. I don't know that that debate gets settled. I don't know that this debate gets settled either. Where does this LSU team fall historically? How would this LSU team have done against 1995 Nebraska? Who could forget? <laughs> hey, Dad, this is a you and me conversation all of a sudden. It, sh- it sure is, yeah. Um, Was it 94 or 95 Nebraska when they played Florida in the championship game and scored like 63 95. on the Florida team? Yeah. yeah, they just murdered that team. Uh, yeah. 95 Nebraska is is going to be in the conversation. I think LSU, this LSU team is better than that team. I do Ooh. not think they're better than 2001 Miami. What about last year's Clemson? They also no. went 15 and 0. They did. They did. Uh, no. The, the the gold standard for me is is 2001 Miami. That 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 team is not going to get topped anytime soon. LSU's resume is better than that 2001 Miami team. They had four wins against top but ten teams. Uh, it is four but wins against not, top that, fifteen teams. But that Miami team would have beaten any team they played. You you could drag anybody back. Look at the pros on that team. I know I understand pro. that, but but we judge that team differently because of the pros after the fact. They weren't all all pro Hall of Fame NFL guys when they were playing. They just kind of eventually got there. I saw someone last night when someone was having this debate, and granted, this guy works in the Florida State in-house media wing, and I know him just from different stuff over the years. He said, this is a great conversation to have. It would have been fun to see 2013 Florida State go up against this team. Is that team in the conversation? I've never heard that one thrown out there before. They're not in the conversation. Jameis would have thrown seven interceptions. Weren't they down 21-3 to in that game? They were. They were. I mean, they were. They were down in the uh, ACC championship game that year to uh, to somebody. I want to say I can't remember who it was. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Let's talk some hoops when we come back. It sure would be nice to have a positive result result in um, in basketball. Give uh, give people something to smile about. Hey, real quick. When LSU was clicking offensively, kind of really got it going in the second quarter last night, and Clemson had the player that went down with the cramps and you had all the boos, did they show Ed Ogeron on television? Do not remember. Not that I remember. He was going after Dabo. Like, he was out on the field looking at the Clemson sideline, pointing and yelling at Dabo. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Hayden. Let's talk some basketball for a second. Or maybe for a few minutes. Mississippi State tonight at home against Missouri. Ole Miss on the road against Florida. LSU is at Texas A&M. Those are the three games happening tonight involving SEC teams. Let's take them in order. Ole Miss plays at 6 at Florida. Borky, the line was 11.5. I looked a little while ago. 
and I think it has ballooned to 15 and a half. Must be the uh, the absence of Hadim C. That was as of about 9.30 this morning, so that's a massive jump. Yeah, well, ESPN's still showing it at 11 and a half. So there's some, uh, some different places maybe. Uh, 15 and a half, though. Well, somewhere between 12 and 15. We'll just call it that. For Florida hosting Ole Miss tonight. Florida coming off a loss against Missouri. Ole Miss coming off a home loss against Arkansas. Rippy, the Rebels are sitting at 9-6 and six right now. They are 0-2 in the SEC. And if we're just being candid, this thing feels like it is perilously close to going off the tracks. Do you agree? Yeah, I would say you're reaching that point. I mean, you're already shorthanded with a couple injuries. No Hadim C tonight. Team has not looked shown really any ability at all to score. So, yeah, I would say that because you've got a road game that you're not even close to favored to win. And then you have LSU at home who did beat that Arkansas team you lost to. And Arkansas didn't play particularly well for long stretches of that game against Ole Miss. So, So listen to the stretch coming up. At Florida tonight, Florida's okay. Florida's got more talent. Florida is better, I think, or is going to be better than its record is right now. They're sitting at 10 and 5 right now. Uh, in SEC play, they are 2 and 1. So this is one that Florida's got to win. Florida, LSU, at Tennessee, at Georgia, host number four Auburn at LSU. Sitting at 0-2 right now, that is an unfriendly stretch of games over the next three weeks. Yeah, I mean, you had a chance to sort of ease into conference play. You played A&M, who, granted, looks better and is playing better. Got a road win at Vanderbilt, but not really saying much. It's a game they definitely should have gone and won. By far their worst loss of the season, then you lose a home contest. That Probably a coin flip game with Arkansas, and now you kind of get in the teeth of the SEC schedule, so it certainly doesn't get any easier. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get any easier coming up. It's almost got a shot at all tonight. I mean, you play the game, so I guess you've got a shot. I do not like their chances. It feels like a difficult matchup. If Hadim C's not there, all of a sudden your front court is even smaller and thinner. Kerry Blackshear is a really good player. Maybe not a pro player, but he's a really good player at the college level, the transfer from Virginia Tech. Well, I don't even know what you do after... Because their big thing right now is they they can't afford to play Buffin and Henson together because they make too many defensive lapses. Buffin gets in foul trouble, and neither one of them have become very consistent options on the offensive end. So they pretty much staggered their minutes the entire second half at against Arkansas. And now what do you do after Sammy Hunter? Are you going to play Carlos Curry? He hasn't played in years. That's probably a little exaggeratory, but he may have, did he play at all at the beginning? I can't remember if he played all in the first game. Point being, he's not in the rotation. Yeah. Like he, he was not set to play meaningful minutes. So I don't under, I don't even know what you do in the front court. You don't have the kind of tall athletic wing in Luis Rodriguez to maybe try to go small, even though they tried that at the beginning of the year and kind of scrapped that idea after Memphis because it didn't go very well. I don't know what you do. The, the problem for me when you look at individual matchups in this game, okay, Florida's got big guards. Andrew Nimhart is a big – now, he's not a super quick guard, but he's a big physical guard. And they've got Keontae Johnson, who I think 
Some people have looked at me sideways when I say this. I think he's the most important player on Florida's roster because he can play the three, he can play the four, he can knock some shots out from the outside. He will bang and bang and bang and go get rebounds, and he just can hurt you in a lot of different ways. And then they've got Scotty Lewis, the freshman, who is a McDonald's All-American and is getting better. And he's got some good pieces. I think it's a really difficult matchup tonight for Ole Miss at Florida. Is it Scotty Lewis? Am I looking at that right? I think that's right. Hey, now let's flip it to Mississippi State. I actually really, really like Mississippi State in this game tonight. Two-and-a-half-point favorite, sitting at 9-6, and six, off to an 0-3 start in league play. They played well enough to win at LSU, just couldn't get it done on the road. So Mississippi State sitting in the cellar of the SEC. Missouri's 1-2. and two. They're coming off a good home win against Florida, but Missouri had a player today announce they, he was going into the transfer portal. I just don't look at this Mississippi State team and go, you know what, they're going to finish... 4-14 and 14 in SEC play. They're so talented, but they're not playing well. Does that change tonight in your mind? Well, my prediction on the uh, Thunder and Lightning podcast was no, that I, I took State to lose, but I think it's more because I just don't trust this Mississippi State team right now. They're turning the ball over way too much. Tyson Carter is in one of the worst slumps of his career, um, and I just don't feel like they figured anything out offensively. Uh, the return of Nick Weatherspoon, which I thought was going to be an instant boost to this offense, if they've gotten worse. You know, they, they haven't scored above 70 points in any SEC game so far. Um, they have a lot of issues and, and it's, it's, it's bigger than just what, you know, some of what they're doing, you know, play by play there. The, the, the way that this team plays and you brought it up when you saw them play in Jackson that it feels like this is a team that should be going up and down the court with the athletes they have. And they're playing this grinded out style, and it's not it's not working. It's just not working for Mississippi State right now. So, I won't be surprised if Missouri comes in here and gets the win. Hmm. I don't think Mississippi State is playing smart or fundamentally sound. They're turning it over too much, and a handful of those turnovers are you know if we're going mixed sport metaphors, and you're going to tennis, you're calling them unforced errors, but it's almost like yeah. they're even more than unforced errors. It's just like. Whoop, here you go, take it. Okay, you can have it. And that's like happening two or three times a game. And this sounds like a basketball coaching cliche, but it's a real thing. You hear guys, coaches, talk about, especially in conference play, you have to value every possession. Like every possession has to matter to you. You need evidence of that? Mississippi State turned it over 17 times against LSU. How much did they lose by, hey, Dad? One. One. If you had valued one possession that you gave it away that led to points for LSU, you know who wins that game? Mississippi State. Just simple math. If you had valued four possessions more in which you gave it away, if you have 17 turnovers... Uh, if you if you pull that down to 13, or maybe you pull it down to 12, and f- three of the five turnovers you take away, take points off the board for LSU, that's the difference in winning and losing. It's the difference in being a tournament team and not being a tournament team. I will say I do not envy Ben Howland, Kermit Davis, John Calipari, 
Conzo Martin, etc., in trying to get that point across, though, to their team, that every single possession matters? It seems to me like it's probably kind of a hard sell. Looking at the schedule ahead for Mississippi State, like we did with with Ole Miss. So, Bulldogs have Missouri at home tonight. Georgia at home on Saturday night. And it's a pretty talented Georgia team. They've got five top 100 players that are freshmen, plus a top three lottery pick on that roster in Anthony Edwards. i tell you what, if you're a Mississippi State fan, like you, you like college basketball and you're kind of on the fence, I would say the matchup, Reggie Perry against Anthony Edwards, I, I think, hey, Dad, I mean, is he the best defender for Mississippi State? I would say so, yeah. I think physically he's the guy that probably has to match up with Anthony Edwards. It's probably worth the price of admission there. Yeah, a couple of future NBA guys going to be going at it on Saturday night in Starkville. So Georgia and then Arkansas. This is the start of three straight at home for Mississippi State. Tonight, Saturday, and then next Wednesday. And that's before a trip to Oklahoma and now, there's, there's a chance, there's an opportunity here for Mississippi State to kind of turn it around. Here at Haydad say he's not sure he sees it happening. If they don't win tonight, this thing could really go sideways. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Morky, since you claim to have reported this already, I'll, uh, I'll let you break the news that's out there. Uh, so according to Adam Schefter, Joe Brady, LSU's um, passing game coordinator or offensive coordinator, however you want to define his role, is off to be the OC for the Carolina Panthers, which is a pretty great gig at 30 years old. Uh, but no Burrow and no Brady uh, for LSU next year. And somebody on this very show yesterday told two other guys that it was going to happen, and the two other guys didn't believe him, but that's neither here nor there. Did I say? I don't remember pushing. Yeah, I don't remember pushing back on that. Oh, you did. It's fine. Fake news. I've got the receipts. It's fine. Either way, that he would be the OC, the Panthers. Yeah, I knew that they were talking about that. I told you it was happening, buddy. Oh, okay, okay. You just know so much over there. Who needs Adam Schefter when you've got Michael Morgan? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not even uh, not even one of the uh, the beat guys here, and I can still break news. Imagine that. In the NFL, no less. I know. Not even on my beat, which is just planning this show. Um, <laughs> uh, but so. All right. What's it? What does it mean for LSU? That's the question, right? Is now what does LSU do? In the news broke during the game yesterday that Houston's quarterback, who they claimed was uh, redshirting, so he can stay at Houston, even though everybody knew that he was going to transfer out of Houston. Derek King, uh, he announced that he was transferring last night. Does LSU go the portal route? Because if you're talking about um, talent, I don't know if what they have behind Joe Burrow is equal to what they got from Joe Burrow. So do they try to go the transfer portal route? But now what do you well, do well, without Joe Burrow? Hold on a second. Yeah, you do. 
You just said, I don't know if what they've got behind Joe Burrow is equal to Joe Burrow. It's not. I was trying to be nice. Um, No, it's not at all. The single most prolific season for a quarterback in the history of college football. With no disrespect intended to the Mississippi and Miles Brennan, he ain't Joe Burrow. Sorry, carry on. No, but that's that's the question. Is now, I mean, this Cinderella story, what does it look like in 2020? What's the follow-up act? What is the sequel? Whatever whatever, um, metaphor you want to use. Because this seems difficult. The only two things that were different from LSU football 2018 and LSU football 2019 were those two guys, and now they're both gone. Ooh, yeah. I I can't remember where I read it or heard it or whatever. Somebody was talking about the, the story of what changed. I guess it was Cole Kubelik who was talking about this on uh, on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center last night. That in January when they brought Joe Brady in. So so originally they brought Joe Brady in as hey, we want to get somebody from the NFL to teach us about NFL RPO concepts and how we can integrate those into our offense. Brought him in, loved him so much that they hired him. And then when Joe Brady came back from the Christmas break, sat down in January, they handed him a new playbook, and it was like, oh, this is new. This is new. This is new. And he was 20 pages into the playbook, and everything that he had looked at was new. So it wasn't a retooling of the offense. It was an overhaul of the offense from a year ago. So that was different. And they decided to use Joe Brady and just see how far they could stretch him. And I, I don't guess anybody knew that he was that stretchable. I mean, he was highly sought of coming out of high school, but was a backup at Ohio State. And so he left early, and he came in. And I mean, don't don't you remember two years ago when we were all questioning? Well, I mean, we need to see this guy play first. We don't know anything about Joe Brady. Or excuse me, Joe Burrow, not Joe Brady. I don't know anything about Joe Burrow. And in his first year, he was just okay. Much better in the second half of the season than he was in the first half of the season. But this was a different quarterback this year. Right. It is worth noting that he joined that team like in the middle of fall camp. No, you're right. He's talked about that. The bowl practice last year was basically his like first like time to actually kind of get acclimated to things. Obviously, he went through a whole season, but said that was crucial. Yeah. He completed twenty percent uh, more of his passes this season versus last season. Yeah. Do Do you think that Ed Ogeron goes out and looks for a no another Joe Burrow type? Because you, you, if you think about what they did, I mean, obviously the playbook is the playbook now, so they've got the plays, they've got the system, and I think Steve Insminger learned a lot this year. If if what has been reported is accurate. Steve Ainsminger caught about 80% of the plays, but he and Joe Brady built the game plans together. And there were scenarios where Brady called plays. So Steve Ensminger, a guy who's been a college football coach, an assistant coach for a really long time, kind of went back to school in the last 12 months. So if you're at Ogeron and LSU, do you feel comfortable allowing Steve Insminger to kind of call the offense that LSU called this year? Or do you think it's important to try and 
recreate Joe Brady. Because part of what worked so well this year was the relationship between Insminger and Brady, the fact that they trusted each other, that they got along, that Insminger kind of checked his ego at the door, and those two guys worked really, really well together. Brady wasn't trying to like wear the crown of, oh, I'm the young, hotshot offensive coordinator. He was really chill about it, and so was Insminger. And so it worked beautifully. I'm not sure that's as easy to recreate as just, oh, let's go find another 29-year-old passing game coordinator in the NFL. 80% of the plays were called by Steve Ensminger. You don't believe that? Um, then why were they willing to pay Brady a million and a half plus to keep him? Yeah, because of the influence that he had on it all. And I mean, that, 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 again, that doesn't mean that they didn't have equal parts building the game plan. And there's no question that it was the concepts that Brady brought in that they integrated. But Ed Ogeron trusts and believes in Steven Insminger. And that's why he didn't strip that title of offensive coordinator away from him. It just, they just put together a system that worked to get well together. But there's no question that Ed Ogeron recognized the value of Joe Brady. I actually thought Ed was pretty protective of Insminger throughout the year. Like people were saying, Brady, 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 Brady. And you'd hear Ed going, well, Insminger, 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 Brady. So it's fascinating, though. Yeah, it really is. You want to keep. So, that, what do you think? You want to keep do you try? Hey, Dad, do you try to offense? recreate that next year? Well, here's here already on Twitter, and I I just looked at it and I, I it made my eyebrow go up. Uh, you want to keep that same sort of similar style of offense, that RPO concept. There's a guy out there right now who uh, may have taught Joe Brady a couple things who's available. Mm. So you think Joe Moorhead goes and joins Ed Ogeron staff? Do I think that? No, but would they kick the tires? Maybe. How, just picture this in your head. Joe Moorhead takes the OC job at LSU and then beats Mississippi State next year. How, how does that received? Poorly? Would we'll it go with that? Poorly would be the answer to that question? People would people would not be. Uh, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, you, you fired the dude. It's not. It's it's not like he. It's not like it's a Mullen situation. But nobody would be happy with that. Well, and and didn't most Mississippi State fans say, or at least intimate along the way, that probably the personnel in Starkville was not suitable for what Joe Moorhead wanted to do offensively. Very true. Probably a little more suitable in Baton Rouge. I would, I would. You can take the probably out. They got, they have better talent at LSU than they have at Mississippi State. That's an evergreen statement. Yeah. All right. So flip flop that for a second. If Joe Brady had been calling plays at Mississippi State, would the offense have looked like what LSU did this year? Or would it look have looked like what Mississippi State's did this year? Uh, that's a great question. That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm my, my my first thought is somewhere in between. It would have been a little bit better, but it wouldn't have been what. What uh, LSU was doing this year because you don't because as good as Burrow is, Chase Jefferson and Marshall and Moss, I mean State doesn't have guys like that. They have the good running back. You know I'll take Kylie Hill over Edward Solaire to be honest, but I, they don't have anybody close to those receivers. 
Mm, I'm mulling over what you just said. You would take Kylan Hill over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I would. Hmm. Aren't they kind of different backs? Some more yards behind an inferior offensive line. That's a good start for me. What about number of carries? I mean, I have to look. I don't know how how big the gap is, or what the yards per carry is like there, or anything like that. But I mean, he was the only guy here. He was that was it. Yeah, there was to no me the biggest difference again. Marshall to save him. Yeah, no, you're right about that. But the other piece of it is, you don't have a guy with anywhere close to the accuracy of Joe Burrow. To me, that that's the most amazing thing watching him throw the football this year. And and you saw it last night. He missed on a couple of throws, but those deep balls. And, and even a couple that were dropped. Everything is on the money. In stride on deep balls. Deep post routes. Hits guys out in front of them where they can catch it and continue to run after the catch. It's a machine. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, wrapping up this 4 o'clock hour. Let's see, Jeff. In Grenada, as a state fan, we can't throw a catch. No way we look like LSU with Brady, and I should be an expert on our lack of passing prowess. I was at all home games and in Nashville. Jason says, wait, you mean healthy Thomas? I'm sorry, what? Hey, did? I was at all the games. He's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason says, wait, you mean healthy Tommy Stevens isn't accurate enough to be close to Burrow? In Brady's offense, the heck you say. Here's one from an LSU fan. If 22 was made the focal point of the LSU offense, his numbers would have engulfed Hills even more. 55 catches, more yards, more touchdowns, more everything. You can't even make the comparison. I just did. You did. You, I mean, you you actually it, can't make Lair it. Play in it's two just more games, game. right? He played. In th- well, Edwards Lair played okay. in three more games. Is that correct? Clyde Edwards Lair had 215 carries for 1,414 yards, 16 touchdowns, and averaged 6.6 per carry. Kylan Hill mm-hmm. in two or three fewer games, 242 carries, 1,350 yards, 10 touchdowns, 5.6 per carry. So I mean, you can you can have a personal preference one way or the other. Well, I remember saying it's not that far apart, and he's playing behind LSU's offensive line with LSU's passing game opening up everything for him. That, that's what you're telling me. I mean, I can make the comparison. It, it kind of is that far apart. It's 30 fewer carries, 100 more yards, six more touchdowns, and a yard per carry more on average. It, with, what, what, what are we debating? I mean, what, superior whatever. talent you, you around like, him. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's like fine. you know trying to argue anything else. Look, man, you you prefer Kylan Hill. That's fine. I, I don't think there are many people that would prefer what would pick Kylan Hill over Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but I think he certainly would be good in that offense. Another message: uh, <laughs> Kylan Hill over Edwards Hilaire. Hmm, how long did you party after the game? Hey, Dad. You're getting beat up on this comparison. Well, I'm just going to, you know, have to take it, I guess. How many losses next year for Coach Ogeron to be on the hot seat? (laughs) 
12. He's a local folk hero forever. But I say, does it matter? Like, if this flames out in five years, does it really matter anymore? They'll still build him a statue. And rightfully so. And and rightfully so. I will. Th this is worth mentioning with regard to LSU. Yes, Joe Brady apparently now gone. Yes, Joe Burrow, the all-everything quarterback, who statistically put up the best season in college football history for that position, gone. Are they going to have a step back from that? Yeah, probably so. You know what else? They're comp uh, recruiting at a top-five level nationally every single year now under Ed Ogeron, and that roster is loaded. Loaded. Yeah, they very well could be 5-0 and heading to Florida. And at worst, seven and one hosting Alabama. Yeah, this gives credence to the theory that these programs kind of drive themselves if you don't run it into the ground or run it off the road, whatever the analogy is. Yeah. It's kind of gotten to the point where LSU, for the foreseeable future, is going to be in the playoff conversation. May not always be there. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll see next year. They could sink. I mean, they very well could slip back into the Les Miles back end of Les Miles's coaching career. Nine and three, eight and four, good roster, competitive. Can't beat Alabama. Can't beat the best teams on their schedule and uh, do that. But it just doesn't set up really for them to do that. I, I, I was going to say, I want to pull up LSU's schedule next year, and you tell me where they've got um, four losses. They don't. At Florida is tough. Alabama at home. They go to Auburn. They go to A and M. Every other game on the schedule, I think they'll be favored by double digits. Yeah. Okay. They have Texas, right, coming to LSU? Texas in week two in Baton Rouge. Yeah. They'll probably, I mean, they'll win that game, though. I had a question from a friend. It says, was Brady a big help, uh, a big influence in helping Burrow significantly prove his, uh, improve in his accuracy from a year ago? Hmm. It, I saw it was Pat McAfee of all people uh, behind the goofiness is actually a smart football guy somebody asked him if Joe Burrow is just a Joe Brady system quarterback and his response was they're all system quarterbacks a great quarterback in a bad system is a bad quarterback so maybe Brady's system helped him but you've still got to make the throws that he did and a couple of them again last night are just special yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix of things. I, one of it, there's some God-given talent there. And having the time to become more familiar in the offense and build a relationship, and I'm not talking about like the off-the-field relationship, I'm talking about on-the-field relationship with those receivers. There's something to that in being able to go through the bowl practices last year and the spring practice. I think that probably factors in as much as anything. Sports Talk Mississippi, 5 o'clock hour. College Football Fix is next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you on Super Talk Mississippi. Show's always streaming live, and you can always go back and listen online on demand, supertalk.fm or wherever you download your podcast. Glad to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395 for you to text the show. And if you haven't tried it out yet, 
Yeah, be sure to do so before time runs out on the special offer from C Spire right now with the C Spire Health app. You can download the app for free in the App Store or Google Play. Um, if you're a C Spire customer for a limited time, a $29 visit with the doc. Uh, you can avoid the lines, avoid cold and flu season by going to the doctor's office by having an appointment with uh, on, on your phone. Uh, go online to the C Spire Health app, schedule an appointment, visit with the UMMC clinician, they will diagnose whatever issue it is that you're having, and if you need a prescription, we'll send it to the pharmacy of your choice. Only $29 for C Spire customers for you to try out the app and uh, see if you like it. And in most cases, just trying it out is not going to cost you anything. I mean, it'll cost you the $29, but that's less uh, than you would pay probably in a copayment, coinsurance, uh, with your current insurance provider. So give it a try. And uh, avoid all the germs. Makes a whole lot of sense. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Big emphasis on Ford SUVs right now. Stop by your local Ford dealer and test drive the SUV of your choice, whether it's the Explorer or the Expedition. Uh, our family has an expedition, and with a big family and kids with friends, it kind of makes sense. You've got room for stuff in the back, and you've got three rows of seats, and it drives like a great big heavy car. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Um, Borky, I feel like I have to be careful in reading this story because the details become very graphic very quickly. Penn State is in the news again for all the wrong reasons again. Penn State and James Franklin are under fire after a former player's federal lawsuit alleges gross hazing that includes mentions of uh, Jerry Sandusky. Former Penn State player Isaiah Humphreys has alleged that Coach James Franklin ignored violent sexual hazing on the Nittany Lions football team, which included some players telling underclassmen, quote, I'm going to Sandusky you, close quote. The complaint includes graphic details of some of the activities of the perpetrators. A lawsuit was filed on behalf of Humphreys in U.S. Middle District Court against Penn State, James Franklin, and defensive tackle Damian Barber, and also identifies linebackers Micah Parsons and Jesse Lukita and defensive end Yatur Grossmatos as the leaders of the hazing efforts. Jerry Sandusky is currently serving 30 to 60 years in prison, you probably know why. How does this happen? How does how does this happen? I mean, I get how it happens. How does this happen at Penn State? For whatever whatever it may be worth, they released a statement and it says this quote: "The university has established processes in place for responding to claims of potential misconduct in accordance." accordance with our processes 
the Office of Sexual Misconduct Prevention and Response in the Office of Student Conduct carried out investigations of the plaintiff's claims independent from athletics. In addition, Penn State Police investigated the related allegations and forwarded the results of that investigation to the district attorney. He reviewed the case and decided that no charges would be pursued. And forgive me for being cynical, Penn State has, um, because of their history, uh, removed all benefit of the doubt in an internal investigation into a matter like this. Yeah, I'm with you. Penn State gets no benefit of the doubt in my mind, which is which is sad and that's unfair. But it's reality. You know who else doesn't get the benefit of the doubt? James Franklin. James Franklin. Say what you want. He attempted to cover up rape at Vanderbilt. Is that overstating it? Like, I'm genuinely asking, am, am, I, am I being unfair? Am I overstating when I say James Franklin attempted to cover up a rape at Vanderbilt involving multiple Vanderbilt football players when he was the head coach? Is that overstating it? Well, according to the case file, um, years ago, he contacted the victim. Before police could? Yes. So the answer is no, I'm not overstating that. And now reportedly did not really do anything to stop this. Sounds to me like James Franklin shouldn't be a college football coach. Lob all the grenades you want to. So, Richard, you're being judgmental. You need to wait until you hear all the facts. You're right. I do. I do. And I I am admittedly not a fan of James Franklin. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's a great football coach. I think he's a good football coach. But seems to be a bit of Bit of a pattern here, right? Awfully convenient coincidence. Look, if you, I, I don't want to read all the details of the story because I know our audience has sometimes young ears in the car. And if you're a parent and you don't want to expose that, that's fine. So I'm, I'm not going to go any farther. Um, I would not want my kids to be exposed to all of this. I will tell you that you can read this pretty much anywhere. ESPN's got a story up. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's got a story up. TMZ's got a story up. So pick your news organization of record. You can go in and read the details for yourself, and you decide. Is this just a, a, a horrible coincidence? Is it just bad luck for James Franklin? Is it a cultural issue at Penn State that they were never able to get away with? But, but, what, what if it's a combination of things? So, so let me give a little benefit of doubt. I'm not letting James Hook, uh, Franklin off the hook at all. But what if you got 19-year-olds making really bad decisions? They know the history of Jerry Sandusky. But that doesn't mean 18, 19, 20-year-olds don't make really poor decisions 
and crass jokes. But if you read some of the allegations in there, they weren't just making crass jokes. There's a lot more to it than that. Alleged. Hal in Columbus says he just tuned in. What's up? There is a story that's extremely disturbing, Hal, in which a former Penn State player, that former from just a couple of years ago, said he couldn't take it anymore and had to get out of the program and transferred from Penn State to Cal, has filed a federal lawsuit against Penn State for hazing using activities and language that are consistent with some of the things that were brought to light under Jerry Sandusky. That's where you are. I pulled up an old Tennessean article from the Vanderbilt thing. I mean, this is now six years ago, but according to this article, there were there was missing evidence in that case, including 27,000 text messages, 200 calls, text messages between one of his players and the victim, text messages and phone records from team staff members, including James Franklin, social media posts, police interview records, contact with the victim, missing evidence in that case. All gone. Look, man, go, go read the story yourself. If you want to read the allegations, feel free. But the allegations, if they are even partially true, are full of sexual assault. Player on player, teammate on teammate, sexual assault at Penn State. And the name Jerry Sandusky was used as a punchline. Almost even as a verb. College football fix. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online. And a text message. I'm not going to share my response because it was more graphic than what I want to read on the air. But we had somebody that said, I played college ball. I was held down and my head was shaved as a freshman, but I didn't sue my freaking coach. Hazing happens everywhere. Yes. Not this kind of Yes, it does. Hazing happens everywhere. This wasn't hazing. This was sexual assault. Yeah. Read the story. Here's another text. I'm not trying to be glib about sexual assault, but so many of us that played sports saw things in the fieldhouse dressing room that crossed every line of good taste but wasn't criminal. Could someone in this story have an axe to grind? Sure. Could. But when I read the detail of the allegations, I am led to believe that there is more than just an axe to grind here. And even if all of it is not true, if half of it is true, then you have an unbelievably large problem at Penn State. But, man, I'm with you. Man, mooning somebody in the locker room, guys getting popped with towels when they're getting out of the shower, I mean, that's hazing. Sure. I'm not being a prude here at all. Read the story, and you tell me if you don't have a problem with it. And again, it's everywhere. You can read the TMZ version. You can read the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette version. You can read the ESPN.com version. I'm sure it'll be on mainstream news sites before long. 
<laughs> this will be a national story that may take a couple of days to get out there, but it will be everywhere. So before you come at me with, and I'm, I'm not being flip. I'm, I'm not being flippant when I say this. And I'm not talking down when I say this at all. Before you come out with, oh, Richard, don't be judgmental. It's hazing. It happens everywhere. It's not, I know. I got no problem with that. Like, I don't think the whole hazing that you think of in a fraternity setting where guys are made to do toes and bows on broken glass while they're being burned with cigarettes, I don't think that's a great idea. But this is altogether different. It is altogether different. And Mark says that I started out by saying they don't get the benefit of the doubt. I agree. They really don't. But it's like as we talk about it, I'm even trying to give Penn State a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Guy says, I got a, I had a guy who slapped my rear in 96 so hard in the shower that I cried. I wish him nothing but the worst. That's fine. I don't equate that, though, as the same as what we're talking about here. Yeah, even that's different. Yeah, I agree. Richard or uh, Lee in Stark Vegas says it's not hazing if Richard is not comfortable. Or he said it's hazing if Richard is not comfortable reading it on the air. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a moralist when I say that at all, Lee. My, my my thought is my kids may be in the car with my wife right now, riding home from dance practice or whatever else. I, I think he's actually agreeing with you. He's saying it's yeah, not. No, 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 no. I I I agree. I I think you're right. And and your kids may you may be coming home from you know whatever practice or after school. I don't want to say something that you don't want your kids to hear on the call in on the deal. Do you want to be a part of the show? You can do so on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Jerry and Tupelo, didn't you say an independent investigation took place and the DA decided not to pursue it? It was in university. That, that's according invest- to Penn State's release. Yeah, that they did independent of the athletics department, not independent of the school. It was the school and then the local police who, you know, different stories, but played a part in what happened to them before, which is why an adult man is sitting in prison for the rest of his life. So, Yep. Um, All right, let's circle back to this, because somebody said a second ago, would you guys talk a little bit about LSU and Joe Brady going to the pros? So new audience, we did that a little while ago, and you may have missed it. You know, this news, what, popped up an hour ago, Borky? Maybe not even quite that much? Yeah, yeah, about 45 minutes to an hour ago. Okay, so let's let's go back through it. Where's he headed? What's he doing? Uh, Joe Brady is heading to the Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator at a cool 30 years old, which is something that I believe was reported, we talked about a few weeks ago, that uh, not just Matt Rule, but it was also the Ravens defensive coordinator, whose name is escaping me, that said whatever job he was offered, if he was given a head coaching job, he would have brought Joe Brady with him. So even though it's the Panthers... Uh, somebody in the NFL was going to come calling, and it just happened to be them. Is it a good fit? 
That's a great question because as good as LSU offensively was this year, I mean, it certainly helps Joe Brady that he had the most accurate passer and the best wide receivers. I mean, there was not a game they played this year where they had a secondary that was capable of covering their wide receivers. Now, that's not being fair because the the change in offense from 2018 to 2019 was obvious, and it was exceptional, especially yesterday. 45 points in that Clemson defense, that's doing something right. But now it's the NFL. Now he's not going to have the most accurate quarterback. He won't have the most accurate quarterback in his division. Uh, Won't even have the third most accurate quarterback in his division, maybe. Uh, Won't have the best receivers. Not even close. Will not have the best offensive line. Not even close. It's a different game there. Rippy, you you follow the NFL closely. Does this give new life to Cam Newton? You you think he's excited about Matt Rule slash Joe Brady coming in and kind of reviving things offensively? Depends on if he's healthy, but I would imagine so to some degree. Because at this point he needs help in the passing game because I don't think he can rely on his legs as he did as much once in his career. You did kind of see that in the last year and a half when he was healthy. They were kind of scared, or not scared, but shot away from using him in short yardage situations. So, yeah, I would think so. But the problem with the accuracy thing is Cam Newton is not the most accurate quarterback. Now, does that become easier in this type of system? I don't know. I'm not like an all twenty two nut by any stretch of the word, but I would imagine he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, be upset by it. Hey Dad, don't you remember some interviews with Cam Newton before the season began when he was healthy and he was talking about the fact that he had been was healthy for the first time and kind of felt different for the first time in a while. I think he was lying. You think so? Yeah, because those first two games he yeah, did play he did not look healthy <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's fair. Could a healthy Cam Newton be an exceptionally accurate passer? He's so gifted. She's got the arm talent. Hasn't been the same post-injury. Yeah. And he sat out basically another full season. I mean, who knows what he comes back like. Isn't it interesting how father time deals differently with different athletes? I mean, we all talked earlier about Cam Newton having, you know, arguably aside from Joe Burrow, the most impressive season for a quarterback in college football history. But because of his playing style, he's taken a bunch of hits. He's dealt with some injuries. But then you look up the road and you've got Tom Brady at 43 years old and you got Drew Brees at 40 or 41 years old. Yeah, Eli Manning is... I'm sure there's some bumps and bruises and he may have some ailments down the way, along the way, but he's 39, about to be 40, and if he doesn't play football again, he's going to basically walk away from football without ever having dealt with a serious injury and being completely healthy. It's a different type of game. Though. None of those guys, yeah, none of those guys are, are running the football as much as Cam Newton has done. He gets officiated. We can call it unfairly if you'd like. The the things that are allowed him. to happen to Cam Newton that are not allowed to happen to Tom Brady, it's not fair. As uh, Rippy knows from his political stances, uh, fair is better. <laughs> it's also, it's also in Newton. It's not just injuries. Like I'm not discounting what you're saying, but the 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 MVP year in the Super Bowl run was the exception, like not the norm. If you look at the trajectory of his career, he's always been a good player, but he's kind of like Matt Ryan in the sense, is one monster season. So he's six five two fifty good seasons. Yeah, he doesn't really look like any other quarterbacks. 
It's a good point, Borky, and and I think officials, not giving him a pass here, it's like they don't really know what to do with him. Because when he breaks the pocket and turns into this big defensive end-style running back, he becomes a runner, not a passer. So the... I mean, don't you think it's complicated on how to officiate a guy like that that plays that style of game? But we're seeing more and more quarterbacks that fall into that category? Just not as big as him? It's tough. I might have some rule changes coming down the road. Yes, more rule changes. Love those. If Carolina doesn't love the future of Cam Newton... Is there a scenario where Carolina tries to put off, pull off what Arizona did last year? Trade for that top pick in the draft and go get Joe Burrow? Just thought I'd throw it out there before anybody else does. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. news for the Tennessee basketball team for the second time in about three weeks. Tennessee's basketball roster has gotten a boost, this time in the form of 7-foot, 240-pound redshirt freshman Yurash Plavcic. Plavcic is a native of Serbia. He played his high school basketball at Hamilton Heights Christian Academy in Chattanooga. Moved to the United States in October of 2017. Originally went to Arizona State. Redshirted last year. Transferred to Tennessee and enrolled at Tennessee in May of 2019. His waiver for immediately uh, immediate eligibility was initially denied by the NCAA, but earlier today, the NCAA's Committee for Legislative Relief ruled him eligible to compete immediately. Inactive for the first 15 games of the year, but he was granted a travel waiver by the NCAA, so he's been practicing with and traveling with the Tennessee team. So Tennessee, who lost Lamonte Turner, what, right at the the semester flip before conference play began, has since January 1st, or really since the end of December, added Santiago Vescovi, a freshman from Uruguay, and now... Burash Plavcic, a redshirt freshman from Serbia. NCAA has been good to Tennessee the last couple of weeks. Good for them. All part of their consistent, you know, by the book process of, of determining eligibility. Kudos to good. them. Good point. You always know what you're getting. You always know what you're going to get. And you can't help but ask the question why now? Why did he have to miss 15 games if you were going to ultimately rule him eligible? Apparently the compliance staff at Tennessee did a really good job putting a compelling case together that the good people in Indianapolis could not say no to. You know, they thought, yeah, look, all this OBJ cash on the sideline stuff popping up. We need to do something that will get us some good press. All right, college football season, the 2019 edition, is now in the rearview mirror. How will you remember the 2019 season? Hey, Dad, what will you remember about 2019 college football season? 
from a big picture standpoint, how can it not be LSU and and how they and how they completely sort of flipped all of the preseason narratives? Not maybe not preseason, but there were narratives about Orgeron, about Burrow, and and they're all gone now. And Burrow, you know, is going to be the number one pick. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. They're the national champions. Orgeron is. You know, got that program going in the right direction. And this is the year of the Tiger for sure. Okay, so that would be at a macro level. What about a little more micro, a little closer to home? The year it all went wrong, you know, for Mississippi State. Um, you know, you, you don't expect to fire a coach after two seasons. Um, you know, I mean, it, just, it, went, it went wrong basically from week two on. You know, you, you lose Tommy Stevens. You can't ever really make anything work at the quarterback position. You have all the off the field. I gotta go back. Go back. I guess before that, with all the off the field stuff with Tudor Gate, you have the fight at the end of the season. It, it's just. It's just. It was just not a very memorable. Very. It was. It was a very frustrating year for Mississippi State. Let me press pause on this topic and ask you a question. Where are we on staff yeah, sure. with Mike Leach? They're coming along. You haven't had a lot of uh, defensive staff being named yet because they haven't named a defensive coordinator yet. But it looks like the majority of his of his offensive staff is making the trip uh, from from uh, from Pullman. Um, don't have all the names for me. The, 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 the name I know is Steve Spurrier Jr. Uh, he will be one of Mississippi State's wide receivers coaches. Uh, okay. His chief of staff, his name is Dave Emmerich. I don't know what a chief of staff does. In the college football, but he's coming. Everything uh, for the head coach. Writes his press conference. Answers. I guess. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and then who's this guy? What was his name here? Tyson. I Brown. don't think that's the he's case for Mike Leach. I don't think there's anybody writing his answers. Boy, that's a lot of paper getting wasted. Uh, Tyson Brown, who's the strength and conditioning coach, he tweeted today. He's headed to Starkville. It looks like most of the offensive staff is going to make the trip. Okay. No confirmation Any guess on the defensive side. Any of this. Do what now? Uh, you know, I think all the big the big names that people were throwing out early on are starting to peter out a little bit. You know, Charlie Strong, Todd Grantham, uh, uh, Randy Shannon's name was thrown out there. I think those are starting to get out, and you're just starting to get to a more uh, more reasonable candidates. Uh, but as far as like a, a name, I would feel like has some traction right now. I don't have one. Okay, fair enough. So back to the question a second ago, Rippy, what stands out for you from the 2019 season? Macro and micro, or macro and micro. Clearly LSU, and then the discrepancy between the Blue Bloods and not seemed to grow even more. I mean, you had ranked games with like three touchdown spreads at times this year. So that, I guess on a micro level, the just drastic amount of change you had in the state in terms of the college football landscape from September to uh, you know, the famous dog pee incident in November. Urination simulation, please. You love that. Jeff says, I will remember a rebel fake peeing in the end zone. That, I mean, outside of the confetti last night, that may be the lasting image from the 2019 college football season. It caused a ripple effect that has Hawaii looking for a new coach. <laughs> what about you, Borky? Flaps its wings in China, and here we are. Going to be a little cynical. Uh, I'm not going to remember much about it because it felt like the outcome was predetermined from the first week of October on. Uh, little to no drama, very few big games that 
had real stakes to them in relation to who would be the champion of the sport. Uh, kind of a, a crummy year. Just you, you had three teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else, so there was very little drama. There's not much parity to begin with, but the lack of meaningful weekends was palpable. I don't know if five years from now I will look back and have this same remembrance of this season, but this was kind of the year of the transfer, especially at the quarterback position. A Heisman Trophy winner that transferred from Ohio State. Now he was in his second year at LSU. A Heisman Trophy finalist that was a transfer from Georgia that took Ohio State to the college football playoff. A Heisman Trophy finalist that was a transfer from Alabama to Oklahoma, who took Oklahoma to the college football playoff. Transferring at one point was synonymous with quitting. That's just not the case anymore. Uh, Unless you are, I I don't know, I'll, I'll say old school but really older, and and you look at things differently than kind of this generation of college football player looks at it, the transfer portal and transferring is not viewed as quitting anymore. It's viewed as giving yourself a better opportunity to play, and it's not going anywhere. We may see some tweaks to how the transfer portal works, but... The idea of leaving one school to go to another school is now not only not faux pas, it is openly accepted, and it is a route to becoming more relevant as a player and as a team. On the flip side of that, too, where is Georgia if they pick the other quarterback? Because now you have Fromm declared a year early and Fields is not on your team. So where would they have been? I think it might lead to more young players playing sooner. You know, the the idea that you couldn't lose your job to injury, that's now kind of a bygone thought. You can absolutely lose your job to injury. Well, you can just lose your job in general. I mean, we have Clemson to thank for that. Kelly Bryant took them to the playoff the year prior. Didn't last five games. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, Borky. And, I mean, what does Kelly Bryant do? He transfers to Missouri. We saw in the state of Mississippi a starting quarterback lose his job to injury. Matt Corral injured, entered John Rice Plumley. He's the starter the rest of the way for Ole Miss. Now Corral played some. But the only reason that Matt Corral's still at Ole Miss, I believe, is because there was a head coaching change. And he decided he was going to stay and compete for the starting job under Lane Kiffin. To me, that's the reason that spring football is going to be so interesting at Ole Miss. Because you wonder if Ole Miss is going to add a transfer quarterback, grad transfer or otherwise in the portal. And you got four quarterbacks that are coming back that are going to compete for the job. It's hard for me to believe that all four quarterbacks on Ole Miss's roster right now will be here in August. Because those guys want to play, and they believe they're good enough to play. And John Rice Plumley's going to be playing baseball in the spring. He's probably going to try and do both. At least that's what we assume is going to be the case. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.